0: that was so amazing thank you so much Brooke and Gail and Amanda and like you just can't go wrong the Sunday before Christmas and these kids and they've worked so hard and long for this performance and just gosh I love it I just love it so much well Merry Christmas everyone I feel like so honored and privileged to be able to share uh, and to speak the Sunday the last Sunday before Christmas I mean, could there be a more exciting moment, at least for me? I start listening to Christmas music somewhere around July, so this is a really big deal for me, and I'm really stoked to be with you. Okay, so um, how many of you have gotten your sort of, you've watched all the Christmas movies you've wanted to watch, or at least most of them. How many of you are like, you've gone through, okay, we got, come on, how, how many more folks you've gotten through the list? How many you are like almost done? You're like three-fourths of the way done with your Christmas movie viewing. How many of you have not seen any Christmas movies, and you're just, okay, you're just here to, you're just here, all right, well, this is your big week, okay, this is the week, um, and if you've ever, have you ever watched a movie or seen a scene from a movie where the soundtrack is removed, right, and it's sort of just weird and flat, or if you go to a a Christmas party, and the music goes off for some reason, and then it doesn't really get back on, and, and like, Five minutes into it, you're like, I'm just feeling a little less jolly. What's going on here? And you realize there's no, there's no songs that are playing. There's no music on. Um, I want to do a little, I want to do like a full-on contest. The youth, the youth pastor and me wanted to do like a full contest this morning. But instead, we're going to do a full group participation. And I have a few soundtracks to like, I think, really awesome Christmas movies. All right, some soundtracks. And I'm going to play them. Thanks so much, Godwin. And good catch, by the way, in the middle of the play. That was a fallen angel, and Godwin redeemed. There's a lot of spiritual significance here. All right. So, uh, everyone, turn to the person to your left and say, "I prayed all year that I'd be sitting next to you at church." Go ahead. All right. Good. Okay. I just needed you to hear your own voice as a as a teacher. They say. Have your students hear their own voice, and so I'm just gonna see if this helps. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to play a song. It's a soundtrack to a Christmas movie, and as soon as you recognize it, and you gotta put yourself out there a little bit, people. It's Christmas time. It's the time of year where you put yourself out there a little bit more, where you give a little bit further than you're used to. Just get your hand up when you think you know the movie, okay? Yeah, see, look, already anticipating the action. All right, so I'm just going to make sure this actually... Okay, it's sort of working. Okay, good. All right, I'm going to play the first one. When you think, you know it. Ready? All right, what do we got? What is it? Elf! Okay, that was good. That was an easy one, though. That was an easy one. All right, here goes another one. Ready? On your mark. That was Elf the soundtrack to Elf. I love singing, singing's my favorite. In the back, Home Alone, John Hughes, come on, right? One of the greatest, I could watch that movie a thousand times, just so good, right? And the song, you just immediately feel it, right? It just puts you in that feeling, you sort of know what's going on, you're all pumped about it. Anyone here you're not seeing Home Alone? Anyone have never seen the movie? Okay, this is your Christmas gift this year, to watch Home Alone. All right, this one's a little more... A little more... Okay, we got... Poor express! <laughs> Very good. Poor Tim. He's been raising his head every time and I haven't called on it once. Tim, I'll call on you for the next one, I promise. <laughs> Such a good student. Front row, hands off every time. All right, this one's kind of like a little, this one will be a little more tricky. Let's see. What do you got? What? Yes, Nightmare Before Christmas, Tim Burton. All right, very good, that's a little harder. All right, this last one, I will be so impressed, but it's, it's my favorite Christmas movie. I watch it every Christmas Eve. Ready? It's a wonderful life! Oh, man! So good, right? Like, I should just play the last scene from that movie and then close in prayer and we'd be done. It would be all we need. Thank you so much, Sam Krupp. Um, it's, it's some things, some truths, some feelings, some realities can truly only be accessed in song. There's just something about sort of propositional truth and prose and you know paragraphs and sentences and subordinating conjunctions that just can't communicate some of the most powerful truths. And I think around this time of year in our culture here, when we get into that sort of Christmas zone, we start to encounter these truths and we start to encounter some realities that sometimes only music can teach us, can invite us into. And uh, on this Sunday, I have been asked to continue our series, Simple Christmas, and I want to look at a song. We're going to be actually looking at one of the oldest songs It predates the Christmas stories that show up in Matthew and Luke by probably like 30 or 40 years. This is like old school, classic, vintage Christmas song. And and we're going to notice as we look at it that this song actually invites us to consider not just Christmas, not just our season, but our lives, our priorities our world, to consider it from a sort of dramatic angle, a very different angle. So if you would like to, I want to invite you this morning to join me in Philippians. It's this letter that Paul writes to this pretty important Roman veterans colony in Macedonia, this place called Philippi. It's mostly, it's it's a very important city, very important psalm or hymn I'm going to read to you. And it's in what we call chapter 2 of Philippians. And I just want to read it. And I am entitling this sermon, Simple Christmas Song. Like, simple Christmas song. And it's so wonderful when we get a peak. And if you don't know if you've ever encountered Paul of Tarsus or read anything about him or heard anything about him, he writes a lot of stuff. And some of it's really complex. Some of it's difficult to understand. But then there are these peaks that we get. Like a peak into the larger narratives. The larger ideas and paradigms that sort of are constantly cycling through his mind. And in Philippians 2, we actually get a peek at one of the primary songs that's sort of stuck in his head. Comes out in other places and other parts of his writings, but it's sort of crystal clear here. And so this morning, what I want to do is just read it, consider for a moment who he's writing to, and then consider our own our own moment, and our own lives, in each of us individually, us as a community, and then closing. So a simple Christmas song. I hope this is a simple sermon. And um, if you would like to open your Bibles, this is in Philippians 2. And by the way, I just think it's special. I'm reading today out of my favorite Bibles. This is when Todd, Todd got me. Where's Todd at? Todd's here somewhere. Todd got me when he was on a sabbatical a number of years ago studying at Oxford, and he picked this up at a bookstore. And it's like I just have such an affection for it, Todd. Thank you so much. I'm going to read from this this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, you just want to listen. That's how the ancient audience encountered it anyway. So you're in good hands. So let's go. He says this to this small community. If anyone, if there's any, therefore, comfort in Christ, if there is any affection of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any mercy, if any sort of kindness and mercifulness, then fulfill my joy. Make my joy complete that you all think in unity. In love you share. That you're, literally the term is one-souled. That you're like one-souled in your thinking. That you as a community are so united that you're finishing each other's sandwiches, sentences, Yes and not out of selfishness or vain glory this vain sort of pursuit of one of the most important priorities in the ancient world honor but in humility you consider one another as better than yourselves not seeking after your own things not not pursuing your own stuff your own agendas your own empires but the things of others you pursue have this mindset, have this worldview, this thought, this paradigm of mind that was also in Jesus our Messiah and Jesus the Christ, the child that we've been singing about this whole morning, who though he was in the morphe Dulu, the form of God, the rank of God, the status of God, he didn't consider that something to be exploited, but rather he emptied himself, taking on the morphe doulu, the form of a slave, the form of the rank, the status, the realities of a slave. And in the likeness of humans he became. He became like a human. He became a human. And in the appearance of a man he was found. He humbled himself. And it goes even further. Becoming obedient to death. A God that becomes submitted to death. This is unheard of. Even death on a cross. But on account of this, God, God the Father, lifted him and gave him a name, a reputation, a status above all names that in the name of Jesus all knees will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. This is living, this is dead, this is everything, and all tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is the Kurios, is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like human beings were weird. We are very strange organic beings. We are psychosomatic pneumatic beings. We are this complex mixture of things. But unlike a sequoia or a tree or a bush that just they just grow. They're just there. A tree doesn't have a midlife crisis. A tree doesn't ask itself in the morning that I know of, "Why am I here? What ought I to do?" Why do I feel and seem as though there is some sense of purpose? There's a must in my life. There's an imperative that I'm I'm to be living towards. There's something of purpose in my life. A tree just grows. It's just there. It's beautiful, but it's just doing its thing. But humans, we are kind of beautifully plagued with the sense of oughtness. A sense of I must be about something. I must have an agenda or a value or something that I'm pursuing in life. We all have it. In the ancient world, even though they didn't have our technology, they didn't have our lifespan for the most part, and they had a whole bunch of weird things that they were up to. And if you want to learn more about that, come hang out. We'll talk. There's a lot of weird stuff that they did. A lot of weird stuff we do. But the ancients, though, were just like us in the sense that they all were pursuing something and generally something that most folks agreed was a worthwhile pursuit. My lovely assistant, Bray. Bray, would you come up here? Beautiful wife. Come on now. You can give her a hand. Look at that. Merry Christmas indeed. Goodness gracious. She's carrying a ladder. We just have been so in a construction project for the last eight months. We just bring ladders with us wherever we go. Okay, so this right here. You, yeah, oh, perfect. You just set that beautiful ladder up. So this, this is going to be the thing. This is that product that the Philippians, the ancient Philippians, pursued. This is the, the, if they were a factory, this is the thing they built. They built these ladders. And for the Philippians, and Michelli, my other beautiful assistant, Michelli, would you come up my beautiful daughter, Michelli, help me make some signs. Um, could you, yeah, come on, give her a hand. Look at this. Michelli, my little, it was like two minutes ago that she was up here dressed as like a a little angel, like a little two-year-old, and now she's twelve. What happened? Which, like, could you hang this on the just that side of it? Yep, perfect. Hang this on the ladder. And so, in the ancient Roman world, in particular places like Philippi, this feels sturdy enough. They always say this is not a step, right? How many of you ever obey that? That last one. Uh, come on, not a step. Put some spikes on it, then, right? I'm stepping on it. Okay, I'm not tonight, today though, but. The goal of the ancient life, the goal of every good little girl and good little boy in the Roman Empire, particularly men, it was dominantly patriarchal, the goal was to move up in status in this thing called honor. And we hear about honor, we watch movies about honor, we have a sense of honor, but honor is essentially, it's not like self-esteem. Self-esteem, you wake up in the morning and go, oh, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, right? A little SNL throwback right? Self-esteem is something between you and your therapist that you try to build up, right? Honor is a public thing. Think back. This is going to be scary to some of you. Think back to junior high. We have a lot of therapists in the house here today. So if you need to work some things out, I know that's a frightening thought for some of us, myself included. Think about coolness in junior high. Remember being cool? Remember how like important that was? Like the rich kids were the rich kids, Athletic kids, athletic kids, but the cool kids, that's what you wanted, right? So you're kind of in this, in this like ladder of coolness. I don't know about you, but I I knew where I was on that ladder and it was not very high, right? But I was not bottom rung, but I was certainly no, I was not even middling. I was kind of down last quarter of it, but it was a place I knew and I understood coolness. This is what honor really is. It's a public perception, a notion of your sort of credit score in terms of how valuable valuable you are in the eyes of others. And we think of that as a little bit maybe shallow. If you live your life caring about what others think of you, we're like, that's shallow. But that's also coming, by the way, from our cultural moment. We're very individualistic. But the ancient world, it was everything. It was really important. And so a good boy, good Roman boy, good Roman girl, especially boys, would live a life seeking to ascend up a ladder. It was even institutionalized in a Roman context. There was this thing called the cursus honorum, the course of honors and offices, that literally you would try to get these certain offices and these certain statuses. Philippi, and this is the last academic thing I'll get into here, Philippi um, has been thoroughly excavated, and what was discovered in Philippi is not surprising for ancient Roman culture, but a litany of these things called inscriptions. Like, it's just littered with inscriptions everywhere. Really expensive, really conspicuous inscriptions, and they don't have poetry on them. They don't have, like, beautiful word plays. They're actually very boring lists of accomplishments of families. We are the, fam- the Potiti family who were consuls, and duo and we ascended to this and that and the other, and they're just these lists of like what we would call like bragging. But it was so important that the the world knew where they were where they were at status wise. And Paul sings a song, a song maybe he inherited, a song I believe he actually adapted probably for the purposes. And it's a song that as I love this word Todd used last week, it's a song about advent. It's a song about when God comes near and, and this word he used, ambushes us. We get ambushed by truth. Sometimes that happens, right? You get stopped in your tracks and everything you had worked for, everything you thought it, human flourishing looked like, suddenly a transcendent perspective, God's eye view tells us, no, actually, actually you got it wrong. What does God do when he comes near? In this hymn, though he was in the form of God, the rank of God, he was way up here. Excuse me, beautiful baby girl. Even though he was way up here, I'm talking like not just on the human ladder. He's like so far in the stratosphere of honor. So big, so powerful, so well known. What did he do with that power? Did he stop and say, I'm going to live in the day spa of divinity. I'm just going to get beautifully pampered. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to chill. No, instead what does he do? It says he empties himself and he doesn't just take on the form of an emperor or like an important provincial elite, a member of the aristocracy. That would be a nice plunge. That would be like a bungee jump of honor in the wrong direction. No, it says he takes on the form of a slave. So the lowest status you could possibly get. He goes fully down. And the question is like, why would you ever do this? Michelli, could you flip this beautiful thing over? So I got the arrow going up for honor. This is the Roman Mediterranean pursuit. Instead, and Michelli decorated all these. And I don't know if you could see it over here. I might need to pull it back a little bit for you. Can you see that over here? Oh, sort of. Service. The reason why God does this, the reason why Jesus comes is not to build his own profile and his following and his likes and his honor, but rather to serve and give and invest in others. It's a powerful, powerful inversion. And this is the song that Paul sings and invites this Corinthian, I mean, this uh, uh, Philippian community to consider. And so I kind of this morning, I just, I kind of thought through over the week and, and a couple weeks and prayed through some of the ladders, at least in my life and probably in y'all's life, some of the ladders and projects that we pursue. Honor's a good one. like we want a good reputation, but like if my students, I love my students at Biola, right? I love them, they're so awesome. But if some of them don't like me, I'm not that hurt. It's like, yeah, I'm sorry, you got a bad grade. Probably, probably my fault, right? It's okay. But I'm gonna, I have a at least on my wife. I mean, she's beautiful. I'm doing good. I'm alright. My daughter's an incredible girl. Like, just I have the best family, I have the best church family. So at the end of the day, it's okay. If, if there's a group of people that don't like me that much, I'm all right with it. But there are some things in our lives that, like, I do pursue, and I think we all pursue in our culture and, and, and become purposes unto themselves, right? Just things. And now this is not, by the way, going to be some, like, big condemning sermon where pastor's going to stand up here and wag his finger at you and be like, you pagan group of sinners, you seek these things, and I would never dream of it. No, these are things that become purposes in life. And think about yourself now. You're lost in purpose. So one of them, here you go, Michelli. Well, Some of the ladders that we can build, especially when we're in an affluent society. I mean, you guys, look what we're, we're doing, church, okay? I mean, look around you, right? We're not in squalor. We're doing okay. Right? We're frustrated by certain things, but in the big, in the big picture, we're doing good. And in contexts like this where there's so much wealth and opportunity, right, the, the, seek of pl- the pursuit of pleasure can be an end in and of itself. Money or not. Like just the pursuit of like, I just, I kind of want to feel more. I want to have more dopamine released more regularly in my life. And the pursuit of pleasures can become sort of a, a ladder that we build. And the hard part, and I think you all know this, I just turned 40, by the way. I'm going to talk about that a lot this coming year. I'm going to be preaching out of my 40s, people. Yeah, thank you. I survived to 40. But there are some things that you start realizing, like you're 40 now. Your beard is a lot more gray in it, right? Your body's kind of breaking down a little bit in some ways. And you also sort of, you look at the 20s, you look at the teens, you look at your even 30s, and you go, man, How much and how often am I in a weird microcosm of purpose where I'm pursuing sort of insatiable pleasure? And in a society, especially a society, that doesn't really know its purpose, this could be just a default. Well, I don't really know my purpose, so I'm going to pursue feeling as good as I can, having as many good, fun, pleasurable experiences as possible and just maximize. And I want to consider this Christmas story if the pleasure... Ladder is the way up. The story, the song of Jesus coming down, which like you flip that one around. The song of Jesus actually takes us in a different direction. Rather than a pursuit of pleasure, is this life wrapped around purpose? When you're living on purpose, discomfort can actually be a beautiful thing. Something that you could become hungry for because you know I'm living. On purpose. One of the most disorienting things, and Michelle could speak to this too. Um, when you know, in our life in the near term, taking that leap to become foster parents, and I'm not sitting here by the way saying, look how holy we are, we're foster parents, what a good boy I am. No. But when God puts a call on your life and it's purpose, it becomes something you can't not do. Is that right? Can't not do. You gotta do. It's just compelled to do it. And it could be so hard, especially right off the bat in a placement but you have this like sort of big internal smile on your face throughout all the hardship when you know my finger is on the pulse of a purpose God has given me and I am living into it. And one thing I can say, I might be very just uncomfortable. My family might be feel very wonky right now. I might not be getting much sleep at all. I might have way too many people invading my life with forms and visits and all sorts of craziness, but darn it, I'm on purpose and my heart is beating with the purpose God's given me. And so this Christmas, Maybe for some of us, it's going down that ladder and saying, you know what, I have been kind of living in this sh- very shallow, on-the-surface existence of pleasure-seeking. Nothing wrong with pleasure. I love having a good time. Heck yeah, love it. But when that becomes your purpose, right, the story of Jesus invites us to maybe take a different direction. Here's another one. I'm just going to do a couple more. Which would you, this was kind of related probably, and, and I think around Christmas time. Um, consumption. I mean, I didn't realize there were as many sprinter vans in existence as there are going just down my street on like a minute by minute basis, right? I mean, how many, these drivers are incredible. I hope you lay out cookies for them or tip them or something. They are working hard for us and our little boxes that show up. Remember when boxes would show up and you'd be so excited, like back in the mid 90s? Remember that? Like a package arrived. What is this kids, gather round. It's a major award. Christmas movie reference, anybody? No, okay. It's, it's so exciting, and now it's like a package cake. What is it? Toilet paper, right? It's cool. It's a mitten. It's, you know, it's, it's just constantly things are coming. Nothing wrong with that, but let's face it, people. It can become a purpose to just kind of keep consuming, get more and more, and build more things and more toys, and I'm bored with this, so let me get something new. It's a simple one, but there's this beautiful trajectory that changes. Michele, would you flip that one for me, my beautiful baby girl? The ladder leads us in a different direction. The the Jesus story leads us to a place out of extravagant consumption into, listen to this one, I like this one, courageous contentment. Courageous contentment. It's a great line Paul says later in his life, but godliness with contentment is of great gain. Godliness with contentment. He's like, you can't beat that, baby. When you have contentment, gratitude and contentment He says, we brought, this is is 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Now, we all know that because it's not an intellectual thing. You can't think yourself to this. You can't logically go, I'm going to be in a box at some point. My heart will not be beating. It's done. It's going to happen. I'm sorry if this is news to y'all. It's going to happen, right? You can't take stuff with you. We all know that, but the problem is our heartstrings, right? Our brains get just hooked in to consumption and to more stuff and to adding to our stuff. And Paul goes, dude, godliness with contentment, this is the way to go. This is the ladder. So maybe for us this Christmas, it is taking a moment to say, you know what? Maybe instead of adding my Christmas list five more things, maybe I'm content. Maybe I'm going to be seeking gratitude in the morning and, and waking up, and just think God, here's the five things I'm thankful for that you've given me. Thank you, God. Give us this day our daily bread, right? That's a great part of the Lord's Prayer. All right, here's some more. Just a couple more, and then I'm going to land this plane. Oh, here's a good one. The ladder of, oh, boy, I know this doesn't touch anyone here in Los Angeles County, but attraction and allure. The ladder of physical, basic physical attraction and allure. Keeping it tight keeping it looking good, people, right? Turning some heads, seeking to look attractive. I know no dudes do this, right? There's no guys here that do this, all guys that don't care. Yeah, right, right? In Los Angeles, more than I think anywhere I've been, this is the thing, and I'm, I mean, look it, I had a mullet. You know how, how much care I gave to that thing? I stroked it, I spoke to it. Mitchell, I love my mullet, right? I care about image as much as anybody else. And it's really surprising, and you may not struggle with this. Again, you could maybe one or two of these things you'll identify with, but Bray and I, this is one of our things in life where we've, and I hope it's okay to say, babe, I'm asking you in front of everybody. But we, <laughs> like, my my wife was a model. She was a beautiful, wonderful model, and and it comes with a cost. When you're a model, a teenager in early twenties, like, it comes with a cost, right? It comes with a, a certain remainder in life of like, how do I, have, I've been at this place. How do I keep that going? How do I keep this beauty and this image? And, and I find it for myself. I was not a model, <laughs> not even close, but we, we did this thing for all, we covered mirrors in our house. Like you're like, the vampires live here. Like, what is this? We covered mirrors in our house for this one season where we're just going to the Lord about this. And it was striking the freedom you actually experienced in your house. And it was during COVID. So like, you're just, Walking around into a room, and you actually look up. How do I look? How are things going? What's happening? I'm not saying don't check for boogers. I'm not saying, like, you know, make sure there's no celery in your teeth. But you know what I mean when the, the, the ladder of allure becomes our addiction. It's just really cool picture. And, Michelle, you can flip this. Um, this is an interesting phrase. But in Isaiah 53, actually, one of the, the, the prophecies of Jesus one of the prophecies, it says this Messiah will come and he had no beauty or majesty, majesty to attract us to him. This is fascinating. When God takes on flesh, he does not take on appearance and beauty and allure as the goal. We actually catch glimpses like in the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, or in like Revelation 1, when Jesus appears to John in all of his splendor and beauty, it says, John, he falls down as though dead. He's so struck by the beauty and majesty and sublime uh, encounter with the glorified Jesus. He falls down as though dead. This is not the way Jesus came and dwelt with us in his earthly ministry. Rather, he came, and I I wrote this, he came with a unadorned presence to bless. And this is what I'm really convinced of. When we can stop worrying so much about how we look and about keeping ourselves from aging, keeping ourselves from showing even a sign of some weight gain or keeping ourselves at that physical place we were at where we were crushing our records, crushing our times, rocking it in the gym. People were like, dang, you look like Ryan Reynolds. I've heard that once, but then I got a lot of Andy from The Office, too. So you got to take the good with the bad people. Like when we can move away from that zone of trying to keep it always better and younger and more attractive, all of a sudden you show up to groups, you show up in life with a presence to bless. With a simple, unadorned presence to bless. Where you say, I'm here not for myself. I'm not here to attract flirtatiousness or to or to get people checking me out or to or to just please myself and saying I still got it but rather I am here with the presence to bless and it's liberating so some of us maybe this year we got to cover up that mirror maybe we got to say you know what I could spend 30 more minutes getting ready this morning I'm going out in my sweats this is what's happening this is the reality we're in kind of, I don't know what it is for you but for me there's a beauty to taking the opposite direction in that ladder and caring a little bit less about how we look. All right, two more quick ones and then I'm closing. Um, here's a good one, this one's big. I find, as, at least for me, as like a middle-aged dude now, middle-aged, my gosh, um, financial safety. This can maybe be a ladder that most of us can appreciate. Financial safety. There is nothing, let me underscore this, there is nothing wrong with financial responsibility. There is nothing wrong with taking care and being a good steward of what you're given. We have an amazing crew of financial advisors that go to this church and a a great group of brilliant business people. There is nothing wrong with financial responsibility. There is probably everything wrong with duping ourselves into thinking safety will come with one more comma. Safety will come with what most people say is about 20% more. When interviewed, most people say, how much would be enough? it's always about 20% more. That right there is one of the biggest dupes we can ever, ever fall for. And I, preaching to you today, fall for it all the time. Check the Vanguard account. Check the E-Trade account. Check the retirement account. Check the Union Bank of California account. When I see it a little fatter than normal, oh baby, that feels good. Daddy's safe. When it's getting a little bit like, ooh, that margin is a little smaller. I won't call myself daddy. Bray does not like it when I call myself daddy. I don't know why. (laughs) I'm sorry, Michelle, you have to be here for all of this. But financial safety, and when we can, instead of tight fisted building our panic room of financial safety, can follow Jesus for a little bit in life and watch him as he has prodigal generosity. You could flip that one: prodigal generosity. The whole picture of Jesus is one, and literally Paul brings this up in 2 Corinthians. He says, though Jesus was rich, he became poor, that you might become rich. You see, it's not about money, having a lot, or having a little. It's about recognizing what it's for. One of the greatest scenes of any movie, the end of Schindler's List. If you've ever seen that movie, it's a tough one to watch. The most powerful moment is when Schindler is staying there, and he realizes "I have a pen. he has this pen that could be worth money. And he goes, I could have given more. I could have gotten one more person out of the death camps. And he just has this, it's so darn crystal clear when you have that moment of encountering what Life is about, it's not about building our palace of safety. And i got to preach this to myself, you guys, because everything else in our world is telling us a little bit more, be a little bit safer, be careful, you might run out, there might not be enough to go around. And instead, our God is saying, when I came to you and walked with you, did I not demonstrate what this human existence is for? It is for dumping yourself out in the lives of others in this loving Self-giving relationship. What is money for? Money is here to bless. And so this year, and this is not a, a tithing call. am not like passing the plates right now. I don't care if you give to the church. I, I mean, it's important to do. I think it's a good discipline. Let's not throw that one out. But, but what I'm trying to say is, like, maybe this year you got to write a big, fat, weird check. Maybe this year... You open your hand on something, and you talk to your spouse. Please, if you're married, talk to your spouse. Make sure that y'all are both on the page. But like, if God taps your heart and goes, hey, I want you to do this, I know some people personally, and I know, I know these people, that have given a big fat chunk of money. That was a lot to them. I mean, like half. They just like I go, I'm just going. It's, I'm just doing it. Here it is. All that came from that, and they gave it to some people that were deeply in need, All that came from that was the kinds of blessings you could not imagine. Our God loves open hands. He loves to fill open hands with more stuff because he knows they're not going to close their greedy digits around what he's dumping into them. He knows they're going to keep going, all right, cool, here's some more, here's some more, here's some more. And it gets addicting. George is a financial advisor. George, tell me about it. I mean, it gets addicting, right? You see it in your clients. You see it in people that say yes to it. That go, I want to be financially responsible. I want to use my brain. I want to use my resources. And darn it, I'm going to give. I said I wanted to go 20 minutes. Okay, last one. Here's my last one. This one maybe is really important. So this year, maybe some of you got to do something crazy. Do something crazy. Do something beautiful. Do something beautiful. Talk to Russ Hamilton about Watts Powerhouse. They're trying to raise money for some folks in Watts. Just just $10,000 to support a youth pastor there. Some of you can write that check without even thinking about it. You would be changing a community in a way that could not be done elsewhere. I don't know what it's going to be. That was real specific. I don't know what it's going to be for you. But maybe there's someone that you just got to give to. Okay, this last one. This is not righteousness. I did not misspell it. This is the ladder up that we're kind of on sometimes. Not righteousness, but rigid, ever-enforced rightness. Oh, my goodness, people. Rightness. Are we not in an age of being right? Like, I am right you are wrong, I am right, you are stupid, I am right, how dare you, I am right, and you're the problem. See, that's what I'm talking about, someone's into it. Right, like this thing of being right, and I struggle with this myself, I feel like I see something so darn clearly, I'm so sure of my position on it, I'm so darn sure I'm right. Jesus stood before his accusers Yelling lies at him, and he stood there silently. Like, dang, God comes to us and he's being told lies. He's being accused of things that we all know he did not do. Instead of standing up and going, whoa, 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 let me have my rebuttal, he sits there and he takes it and he says, no. What if this Christmas, instead of increasing our altitude of rightness, go ahead and flip that one, Michelli. What if we move down the ladder and become peacemakers? We make it our joy to say, nope, I am going to resist the temptation to, yeah, but, yeah, but did you know this? Let me forge you this thing. Let me send you this link. Instead, we stop and go, no, I think I'm gonna make my life about peacemaking for a while. Just experiment with it. Try a month of it. I promise you the world's not gonna fall apart without your opinion injected into everything. It's probably gonna be okay. What if you took a month and you said, all I'm going to do this month is make peace? Especially for some of you, Enneagram eights? you know who you are. Some of you, I'm kidding. You have a clarity and there's a prophetic gift God's given you. It really is true. A gift of saying, no, I have a conviction on this and I'm not budging. But for all of us, that kind of can leak into even more of a, no, but I'm right and I can't be wronged. What if instead... We flip the script, move down into peacemaking. That's the song that Paul sings. I'm going to pray. There's so many more I could talk about, but I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you so much, God, for the opportunity this Christmas to rethink our lives, to rethink our priorities, and to hear this song. And God, maybe demolish a ladder in our life and experience what it truly means to follow you down the ladder into something exciting. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Amen. I said I would give you a better heads up than I did. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm like, I'll let you know when I'm done. You can come up. And I didn't do that at all. Thanks, Michelli, by the way. Michelli, thanks so much for making this, helping me make the signs and for doing this.
1: Church on the Beach is a messy business with all these cords. Have grace as we get set up. Why don't you all stand up with us? We're going to end in a little bit of worship and communion. Lord, thank you that you do give us the picture of humility, picture of what it looks like to live on this earth, Lord. Would you give us strength this week as we adore you on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, Lord, to be like you.
2: You are the God
1: together again on
2: Nothing compares to this What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus Let's sing it together You didn't want heaven without us You didn't want heaven without us So Jesus you your love was greater, Why could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful What a wonderful name
1: it is, the name of Jesus. We sing this together, death could not hold you down. Death could not
2: hold you, the veil tore before you.
1: That saved us, that came and took on human flesh. May we never lose the wonder of your name, Jesus. May we never lose our adoration for who you are and what you've done. You came to us in the most vulnerable form you could as a baby. So Lord, we honor you this morning as the exalted Christ, born to suffer, born to save. We let that ring true in our hearts, Lord. We honor you. We glorify you this morning. We partake of the blood and the bread. Your body broken. Your blood spilled out. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We love you, Lord. We give you our affection. Whenever you're ready, the communion table is on your right and um, if those in the front want to go ahead and make your move forward first um, we'll end with communion we'll sing a couple more sentences of the song and then you'll be released for the day. Merry Christmas everyone!